This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. That's right. Hope you're wearing maroon today because tomorrow's game day. We get college football tomorrow, kids. Should be a great game. We're going to play the University of Arizona in uh, game two of a two-game set. You know, we've had this Power 5 mandate now for several years. And maybe unbeknownst to you, Mississippi State has never swept the home-and-home with a Power 5 team since that mandate came in. Yeah, it's true. Think about it. Yeah, go back and think about it. We split with Kansas State. You went up there, man, the little apple in Manhattan. They came down here and beat us. I guess technically we beat ourselves, but uh, you can run the numbers on it yourself. We haven't been able to sweep one. This could be the first one. I don't know if it happens next year. You know, we get it, we got it. we're supposed to go to Arizona State. It doesn't appear there's going to be uh, a major change in the schedule next year. However, there is the possibility – because they tabled the issue, you know, when they had the last SEC meetings about the schedule. You remember so many college football pundits said it was just basically inevitable that the SEC was going to go to a nine-game schedule. Well, they didn't have the votes to get it done. Matter of fact, it really wasn't close. And so if they get support to go to a nine-game SEC schedule next year, I guess it won't be next year. I guess it would technically be uh, 2024 or 2025, excuse me. Let me get it straight here. Then many of these Power 5 games that we have scheduled will go away. So this may be the last chance for us to complete a home-and-home with a Power 5 through the mandate. A little trivia question there for you. We hadn't done it yet. Got a good chance to do it tomorrow. We're going to talk a lot about the Arizona Wildcats on this show. I know we have some Arizona fans that uh, are along for the ride. Uh, Many of them subscribers of uh, Jason Shear's uh, Wildcat Authority. Welcome to the show. And for those of you that are traveling to Starville, uh, we pray for your traveling mercies. Be careful. Hope you enjoy your time here at Mississippi State. Obviously, uh, we don't wish you well in the ball game, but we do wish you well the rest of the year, and we hope you have a great time here uh, in Starville, Mississippi. And for those of you watching at home, yeah, hey, glad that you're with us. And uh, it's one of those things, too, it's interesting. Yeah, at the end of the day, we all have the same concerns, right? We're all emotionally invested in these teams that hold our college allegiance, you know. And, and uh, you know, getting the chance to know some of these fans and kind of interact with them on social media and certainly on our message boards at 247 Sports is, uh, is rather interesting, you know, because like some of the same problems that we all think we had, they're so unique to Mississippi State. Uh, by and large, most schools and fan bases around the country have the same concerns about their own programs. You don't have to look too uh, far to find out that there's always a thread on a message board about we're unhappy with the uniforms, we're unhappy with marketing, we're unhappy with uh, the way the university is branded. That is not unique to us. And I think the more you get out and read other fans, and I don't just mean your rival message board. I know that's, that's a thing. It is. I suffer from that same affliction. Like when Ole Miss loses the game, one of my things I love to do is, uh, you know, come home and, uh, you know, grab a, a, a snack and a drink, 
and sit down and peruse those message boards to kind of read the meltdown, right? Uh, just like last week when uh, Clemson lost to Duke, I went over and read the Clemson boards. What are they saying? You know, I guess misery loves company. But it is rather interesting to think that there are so many things that happen and we think it's only us. And, and you read that, only at Mississippi State can this happen. Well, let me here to tell you, uh, Bob and Bogachita, that's not true. It happens everywhere. There are, few, there are very few programs out there on the level of Alabama, and even then you can find some people that complain about that. I mean, I, I, I laugh at the uh, – I followed that Twitter account, Message Board Geniuses, which is hysterical, I guess because, you know, I've made my living basically with message boards. You know, been doing that since, uh, you know, 2001. And sometimes I forget, you know, it's like I've been doing this for so long. You know, I started writing about Mississippi State in 1997 – and so last year we missed the 25-year anniversary. How about that? You know, but, but it, it is what it is. But uh, what's so interesting to me about the, the dynamic of all this stuff is that uh, on, on the message board genius account, you know, people get so over the top because they have anonymity, right? And we have that happen at Gene's page. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like last week, you go out and you have the, the very first drive of the game, we didn't score, so immediately there's a thread that pops up. Maybe Arnett's over his head. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. Get the end of the first quarter, he's that guy starts getting some, uh, you know, some comrades. Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we made the wrong decision. You know, of course, it's 48-7, and then those same people be like, well, yeah, maybe I jumped too soon. But, you know, a lot of people out there laying the groundwork so they can come back later and say, I told you so. But, um, you know, one of the – that was so funny – about the message board genius Twitter account, and and do give that a follow if you're a Twitter person that likes a little entertainment. Check those guys out. I've got no affiliation with them whatsoever, but I do enjoy the account uh, because they point out the absurdity, and I, and I love their their brand of humor. But uh, there was a post this week. There was time to fire Sonny Cumbie at TCU and bring back Gary Patterson. Of course, after they lost to Colorado. Now to provide some context for you there. TCU played for a national championship last year. And yes, Georgia killed them. They did. But TCU was in the national championship game. And one game into this year, it's really worried to fire him and bring back Gary Patterson. You know, it's that kind of stuff. It just, especially when it's about another fan base, right? You can look at it and look at the absurdity of it all and say, you know what? This is a little bit over the top. And then you go look at our message boards. Our Mississippi State boards, and you're like, oh, well, we got people like that too. And so it's interesting. But the hashtag fire everybody. I need to get one of those shirts. So message board genius, if you're if you're listening today or somebody draws your attention to this, hit me up. I want to get one of those fire everybody shirts because that's what happens. Anything that fire everybody. It's so incredible how we make such an emotional investment in these teams. And uh, when we don't get the return on that investment, you know, we want to hold people accountable, even people that are beyond our purview. People that we have absolutely no way to hold accountable. We want them held accountable. You know, you lose the wrong ball game at the wrong time in the wrong way. Next thing you know, we're going to – not only are we going to fire the coach, we're going to set the field house on fire and bulldoze the campus, you know. It's crazy, but uh, it's not – we have our own kind of crazy, but it's not limited to us. But it is very interesting the more you read, uh, the more you kind of look at the absurdity of it all. Hey, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. Uh, I love them. I do. And I loved them before they loved me. And I uh, love these events they're doing. They're having the tap takeovers uh, at one of three locations. Occasionally have some live music. 
there in Tupelo. That's a cool thing, man. Be able to go have a great meal, maybe enjoy an adult beverage, have some live music, a little ambiance already. It'd be great. And be sure you uh, kind of keep up with that. We'll announce those on the show as they, uh, as they roll out. I want to thank uh, Jordan for always keeping me abreast of the things that are going on at Bulldog Burger Company. But, you know, the main reason you go, it's not for the live music or for the tap takeover. That's all bonus. You go to Bulldog Burger Company because they know exactly what they're doing. They're going to give you a quality meal at a quality price, exemplary service, a great atmosphere, and you know when you have those spring rolls, they make you and everybody around you better looking. I mean, they even put it on the menu. It's not a joke. Test me on this. And some people have sent me the before and after pictures, and it's remarkable. It is. Try it for yourself. It'll improve your disposition in life. But the main reason you go there, it's not the fountain of youth that is the spring rolls. It's that great restaurant-quality hamburger. It's the best place to get a hamburger. It just is. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harper Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go by and have them. Get that chocolate shake to go. You can ride that ride home with a smile. Bulldog Burger Company, a place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take a look at Arizona. Let's just jump right into it, kids. That's what you're here for. And the first thing I'll tell you is right out of the gate, Arizona is capable of beating Mississippi State. Now, I don't, I don't say that in any form of arrogance, but I want to make sure you guys understand this. This is not one of those, well, every given Saturday, anything can happen. This is a good Arizona team. And uh, I share with you guys in a preseason, I think it's going to be tough for them to get to a bowl game. I still kind of share that sentiment, but I won't be surprised if they make a bowl game. And I think when you look at where Jed Fish has come from, the absolute disaster that was Arizona football. And they go out and hire Jed Fish. And let's be honest about Jed. I mean, Jed, while he has spent a lot of time in the NFL, there wasn't a lot of evidence to say, hey, this guy's the guy that's going to, you know, steer our turnaround. But he has. He has. Look at the two years that he's been there. There, there, there is exponential improvement. And I tell you this, you know, I, I've covered Arizona uh, this week extensively. I've watched every press conference. I've transcribed those things. Uh, went back, of course, last year, and uh, we went to Tucson. We, we covered the game, covered the team during the week. I'm impressed with the guy. I mean, he really, really, really articulates himself well. I can see why he would be a good coach. Uh, Arizona, Tucson's a great place. You know, I, I think that's a place that's going to be a lot easier to recruit to than maybe some people fully appreciate. Uh, but I, I like the guy. I do. And uh, I like his comment earlier this week that uh, he was on the staff at the GA at Florida when Jackie beat him in 2000. You know, so he's been here before. But here's the thing, Jed, I'll tell you, you don't know. The cowbells today, not only are they more technologically advanced, more people have them. So the noise that you heard in 2000, because it was still kind of frowned upon then. You know, that was before the great cowbell compromise. So you thought it was loud in 2000. That's going to feel like a high school homecoming pep rally compared to what it's going to be like Saturday night. And Bulldog fans, we need you to turn out. I know there's a lot of inexpensive tickets out there on the third-party market. And uh, I know a lot of people are still getting the harvest in. Some people are dove hunting or whatever. So if you're one of those people that say, you know what, I can't afford to get season tickets and I really don't want to go see them play southeastern Louisiana, you got a chance to see State play a Power 5 opponent in Arizona and improving Wildcat team should be a great game, and State's going to need you there. They're going to need you and your cowbell, perhaps two, there. But let's take a look at, uh, number one, we'll look back a little bit, and then we'll get into this year. 
Okay, um, I watched the Arizona and UNA game uh, two times, and there were a couple things that I noticed. But uh, again, real quickly, kind of a uh, you know look back at last year. We did this a few weeks ago, but I'll be really brief with this. It was a five and seven year for them, and um, you know, in, in many respects, I'm sure they're thinking, you know, there there was a turning point game in here at some point. And I don't think it was Mississippi State. Again, we're going to break that game down a little bit uh, as we get to this year. But um, the reality of it is, is they got off a, a big win last year. They go to San Diego State and they upset them in Snapdragon Stadium. You know, the debut, like the inaugural game at San Diego State in their brand new stadium. And Arizona goes in there and gets them 38-20. Of course, we go over there, win 39-17. They bounce back the next week and beat North Dakota State to advance to 2-1. and one. They lose at Cal. And Cal wasn't a great team last year, but uh, this was a game that was rather interesting. But uh, defensively, they just couldn't stop anybody, at least 49-31. They get Colorado 43-20. So now, there, you know, there's some optimism here. It's like, hey, we've got three. If we can find a way to get three more, we can get back in a bowl game. That would really be a beacon to our fans that, hey, we're headed in the right direction, which I think they are, even though they didn't get the bowl game. But you got to think, heading into that ball game with Oregon, there at Arizona Stadium, you're thinking, man, if we can just – Maybe we can't get Oregon, but we can get three down the stretch. Got a chance to get to a ball game. The problem they had is the backside of the schedule was so loaded. Uh, they lose to Arizona 49-22. They nearly got Washington. They lose 49-39, but they go on the road to Husky Stadium. And um, they certainly could have won that ball game. But, again, defensively, they just simply couldn't stop anybody. It wasn't like DeLara uh, and Cowan and Singer and those guys didn't do enough. I'm sure they would tell you we could have done more, but the defense let them down. They nearly pull off the major upset two weeks later after the bye week against USC. Number 10 USC at the time. They lose by eight. You know, one play here, one play there. That may have been one of the biggest stories in college football that weekend. The next week, they're at number 12 Utah, and that's a tough deal, man, going up to Salt Lake City and playing Kyle Whittingham's team. They get shelled in that game 45-20. They go to the Rose Bowl. And they upset number nine UCLA. Big, big moment for the uh, fish, fish, excuse me, fish administration. Big, big win. So then you're, you're kind of set up here. You got to go through these last two games. Can you sweep the last two? If you can, you're bowl eligible. They host Washington State. And one of the biggest games that Washington's, I mean, that uh, Arizona has had in recent years. And they drop at 31-20. They bounce back and win the rivalry game 38-35. So not really a turning point game, but you can look and see this team with a little bit of defensive help last year, they're a bowl team. And I said last year when we you know, got, you know, came home from Tucson, I said, I don't think this team is a bowl team. And they proved not to be. And so they went to address those needs this year in the transfer portal and went outside nine transfers, eight of them on the defensive side of the football. Yeah. So it's not like they're oblivious to their own concerns, right? They should know better than anybody. I think Johnny Nansen has done a really good job there. Uh, at Arizona this year, kind of beefing things up and working the portal to try to get an immediate turnaround. Because, again, you look at what they did offensively and compared to what they did defensively, and you're like, this is not good. You know, if they were just average on defense last year, they're a solid bowl team. Probably won seven games last year. All right, real quick, we'll look at the numbers from last year because we have such a small sampling. We will touch at the UNA numbers, but, I mean, there's only so much you can tell. But, uh, you know, looking back at last year's numbers, I mean, it really it all starts with Jaden Delora. 
And I'll tell you guys this, I like this kid. I like his game. I think he fits exactly what Jed Fish wants to do. I have pronounced that correctly all week long, and all of a sudden I get here in front of a microphone. Uh, but nevertheless, I like Jake Delora. He does have a little bit of swashbuckler in him where he tries to do a little bit too much at times. Rather than make the smart football play, he'll try to make the big play and get himself in some trouble. Looking back at last year's numbers, before we get to a quick recap of last year's game, uh, Arizona averaged just under 31 points a game. They allowed almost 37. That is not a winning combination. Had some solid groundwork last year. Michael Wiley is a really good running back. That whole stable of backs, very capable of making plays for them. But when you start looking at the numbers here, yes, they prioritized the pass, but they got outrushed last year by over 750 yards on the year. They counterbalanced some of that because they threw over 700 yards more than their opponents. But uh, more times than not, the opponents later in ball games were trying to salt the clock away. So that you look at that stat and put it in its proper context and you say, okay, I get it. But 3,821 yards last year as a team. Uh, total offense, 5,549 yards of offense. They allowed 56-12. And, of course, when you factor in a non-conference, you'd think you'd feel like you'd have a little bit better disparity there. But they were um, – they were outscored by 15 touchdowns last year. And, again, that's a, that's a mark on the defense, right? Uh, special teams actually was pretty good last year uh, by and large. You know, you look at the kickoff returns here. Returns weren't great, uh, but punting over 44 yards a punt, that'll work. Wouldn't you take that? I would take it and be thrilled with it. Of course, you'd like 45, but to get even close to it uh, is absolutely amazing. For sure. And then 18 of 21 on field goal attempts last year. And considering the, the problems that we've had in recent years in field goal kicking, you take that right now. People forget we missed a couple of extra points in that game last year. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Time of possession last year, uh, Arizona on the downside of that, just, just over 28 minutes per game, nearly 32 minutes for their opponents. And, uh, you know, that's the thing, you know, State, even though we threw the air raid and everybody, it was really kind of a ball control offense. So, here are a couple things that I picked up watching. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Um, last year's game. Now, everybody improves a little bit. 
you know, some people improve a lot. But one of the things that I picked up last year uh, in my review of last year's game this week, Delora gets in trouble when he's rolling or waggling left. Now, he's a right-handed passer. He has a huge arm. It's an extremely quick release. And again, as I said, uh, he, he fits what they want to do. They do a lot of very exotic and creative motion type stuff. They'll set up some great formations, and you think, okay, well, they're heavy right here. They're heavy to the, you know, to the boundary, so they're going to run here off right tackle. And instead, they'll play action and then do like a throwback screen, and you look up and they got four or five blockers out there and kind of got them set up like a picket fence. And so it's a, it's a very controlled and safe pass that's behind a line of scrimmage, and Delora has the arm to get it there, and it's not some big labor, right? And so they get it out there to him quick in space, and this is really kind of a, a catch-and-run offense. They do take some shots. They do to kind of keep those safeties honest, but a lot of their passing in many respects is kind of an extension of the running game. They just try to get the ball out on the perimeter in space to a back, uh, to a receiver. And, again, they do some very interesting things formationally, uh, that kind of set these plays up. But, uh, you know, again, you know, looking at last year's game, there's everybody's like, well, you know, Arizona helped us to hell. There's turnovers. People forget we had turnovers in that game too. And a couple of them were just inexplicable. You know, we had a pass that Will Rogers threw right to Caleb Ducking that bounced off his hands for an interception. And Jameer Calvin has a nice reception in space. And then the ball is stripped from him. And give them credit for stripping out of there. But you kind of got to know that discretion is a better part of Valor, Jameer. You're a little guy. Either get out of bounds or get down. They return that fumble inside the 10-yard line and they score. And so, you know, you look at the numbers and say, well, you know, 39-17, but um, could have been worse. Probably should have been worse. On the Arizona thing, they're thinking, you know what, if Delora didn't throw those three picks, we might have won the ball game. Uh, technically, it was four. He threw four interceptions in the game, and we had one that was overturned on review, and his and it was Emmanuel Forbes. He tried to get a toe down, but the natural step of the foot is the terminology they're using these days. He was on the line, so that was nullified. But, again, it's again when he's waggling left or he's rolling left or he scrambles, and that's against us. That's where he got himself in trouble. I actually ran the numbers yesterday. Uh, he was about 50% completion percentage to the left. He, he missed on his first four attempts and then kind of got some things going. Across the middle, he was just two of six and then about 50% to the right. Uh, we only gave up two explosive plays in the passing game last year. Of course, explosive plays in the passing game are 20 yards or more. We gave up 24 on a left and 30 on a right. Uh, I like this McMillan kid, too. I thought he had a good ball game against us. Uh, but, yeah, they've got offensive skill – at Arizona that is comparable to SEC talent. It is. And that needs to be understood before we even get going today. I think Delora is good enough to play in the SEC. Uh, certainly Jacob Cowing is. McMillan certainly is. That's a huge recruiting win for them. But when you start working through this, kind of going position by position, this is not a team that you look at and say, you know, hey, that's probably a losing team. When you look at those pieces they have offensively, you can see why there's a lot of room for optimism. They can hurt you. And make sure, again, it's understood. This is not just some flyover game. You need to understand that. If, if we go out here and we don't play well, Arizona's going to win the game. And just say it for what we can say it for. I expect State to win this game. 
But anybody thinks the state can just show up with that SEC patch on their jersey and walk away with a win is going to probably leave Davis Wade Stadium disappointed. Arizona, despite the fact that they've had a losing record the last few years, this is a team that is trending in the right direction. All right, well, quickly, let's go back and look at this um, quick recap of last year, then we'll get into, into this year's numbers. All right, so as a team, you know, last year we, we did some good things. Other times we didn't. We, out, we had 27 first downs, so they're 19. Uh, we ran for a net of 106 yards. They ran for just 40. Yeah, and some of that, too, is because we got some separation in the game. You know, late state began to kind of pull away. And uh, they had to, you know, they had to play catch up. They had 320, we had 320 yards passing. They had 276. Uh, Will Rogers, 40 of 49 with uh, one interception in that ballgame. Very efficient game for Will. And uh, we had one drop that I remember, and of course, the one off Caleb Ducking's hand. So you look at, you know, what Will did, the numbers may not be gaudy, but a really good game. And what's interesting, too, you know, we talk about, you know, Delora, kind of the difference. What's interesting in this game, and maybe this is one of those things, too, that uh, is a centralized point for everybody to consider. Everybody said, well, you know, Will Rogers and the air raids kind of dink and duck. Our average depth of target in that ball game was 6.5. Their average depth of target was 5.1. A lot of dink and duck for both teams. Now, average depth of completion for us was 8 yards. Theirs was 10 because he did hit a couple of chunk plays. Four passing touchdowns for Will and just the one for Jacob DeLara, and that was on a little bit of a flare pass out there to Cowley, and he got a nice block out on the perimeter. Uh, and got Yeah, and got in. Yeah, and then and McMillan's a guy, too, that uh, has done some good things, too. We'll get to him a little bit later. But State 426 yards of offense, Arizona 316. State ran 73 plays, Arizona 76. The punting aspect of it, 48.7 average for State, 49.2 for Arizona. Uh, the air here is a little thicker, just, just for those of you that, that don't know. You know, you, you guys know I spent a lot of time in the Southwest this year. I can tell you, it's, it, it is a different dynamic. Hot is hot, okay, and there's humidity. And the way this, the, uh, the forecast is looking, you know, we're acclimated to all this stuff, and so it's interesting to see. You know, the high Saturday here is 85. You know, ten, uh, two weeks ago, it had been 95, and it's going to be sunny. I don't think the humidity is going to be the factor that maybe some people thought it would be. It's not going to be as hot as it has been. should be good football weather. Uh, kickoffs last year, we kicked off eight times. We had eight touchbacks. Again, the air is thicker here. They had four kickoffs, three of them touchbacks. I think that's going to be significant a little bit later in our, uh, our breakdown here. Uh, but looking at some individual numbers here, especially Delora, and, and you may not know this, but Jaden Delora had his worst passer rating game of the year against Mississippi State last year. Now, some of that may be, hey, it's an SEC opponent. Here's a chance to kind of, you know, to fix this. You know, of course, Jaden Delora was recruited to Washington State by Mike Leach and that staff. Maybe that was part of it. Maybe he was a little bit, uh, you know, emotional. Maybe he was a little bit too keyed up. But he didn't play well in the game. 23 of 45, that's just a shade over 50%, 220 yards. And remember, we had, had two plays that amassed 54 yards. 
So when you start thinking about that for a second, it's 21 that basically got you 170. That's not going to get it done. We talked about the three interceptions, and he was sacked just twice. Those sacks were interesting, too. We brought uh, Colin Duncan basically off a fire, off right tackle, walked him up into the box and positioned him on the same line as the backers and brought him around, and he was paired up with a tight end. Uh, And that's just not a fair fight. They brought the tight end in, basically serving as an H-back and as a personal protector. Duncan runs around him. Delora actually got the ball off and into the hands of Michael Wiley, and they had about a 20-yard gain. However, Delora was on the ground as he threw it. And, again, that kind of shows the level of his athleticism. And then the second time, Randy Charlton gets him on a twist, comes back up the middle in their last possession before the half. And uh, they're like, oh, they're in field goal range. With that thin air, who knows? But um, they needed to probably get a few more yards to make that a more, more, you know, possibility, realistic possibility from field goal. But um, Charlton comes loose, and uh, they get a sack there. There were a couple other times we had him dead to rights, and he's so elusive and so athletic he's able to get away. That's really the issue when you think about this year is when you get him, you got to get him down. Because when you miss, he's so athletic. If he gets loose and plays backyard football with you, um, he can make some plays. And, again, very, very capable wide receivers out there on the outside that are working back to the quarterback. They know who they have behind center. They know that that's a guy that's going to be able to extend plays. You'll never give up on it, right? And that's where I think the danger comes in with this Arizona Wildcat offense. It's not just what happens within the framework of the scheme. It's what happens when Delora has to go off script. This is a guy that's not going to panic. He's a tough kid, man. And uh, I've enjoyed, like, watching the press conferences. This kid kind of exudes confidence. Uh, He is a guy that, again, not only fits from a skill set standpoint, I think when you're looking for a rebuild, you need an unflappable leader, and I think Delora can be that for them. I certainly do. Uh, Michael Wiley was the target of choice. Of course, he's a running back last year. Six uh, carries for – excuse me. Uh, six carries for 49 yards on the ground. He was the running back of choice. Uh, Jonah Coleman, five for uh, 12, and D.J. Williams. But, again, just 40 yards because you have a you know, loss of 25 uh, on Delora. Receiving uh, Tetaroa McMillan, big-time receiver for them. He's done some really good things for them outside the numbers this year. And again, Michael Wiley, running back. Again, that goes along with all this formational stuff they do. They get the backs out there in space. They hit Wiley four times for 54 yards, and he had the one that was negated uh, for 20 yards too. So it could have been an even bigger game. I really like Michael Wiley. I don't know that this guy's not a pro football player. And when you watch how he kind of goes about himself and the, the, the offense in which he plays in, you know he's being prepared for that. But uh, very, very physical player, has some explosiveness. He had that first touchdown for him last year. Uh, good player. Uh, Tanner McLaughlin last year, tight end, uh, four receptions for 51 yards. Jacob Cowling, eight receptions for 46 yards and a touchdown. And, of course, um, looked at the numbers there. His uh, eight catches were very consistent because they want to feed him. But the 46 yards, it works out to be, what, 5.8? I think that matches his low for average reception or average yards per reception. The only other time that he had that same number was Utah. And both of those games happen to be losses. And so you look at this with Cowan. They've got to get him involved, and they've got to get him in space. People forget, we, we recruited Jacob Cowan, too, out of UTEP. But he had a chance to go home and go play in Arizona. But, yeah, State was on him. Just couldn't get him. Dorian Singer, of course, is gone. Another talented guy, man. Really is. 
But uh, that's how you look at it. The defense has been completely revamped. Uh, completely re- – and it needed to be, right? You didn't return many people, and they hit the portal really hard. But, uh, you know, looking back last year, you know, they had some guys, again, that had the ability to make some plays, and there were some plays to be made at times, but you got to give credit to your Bulldog defense. Really an outstanding effort in that game. And, again, there's always one or two plays you look back, you wish you had back on both sides of things. But I really thought the difference in that ball game, especially especially from midway through the second quarter on, was the Bulldog defense. Now, what, what will Fish do differently this year? You know they're going to have some opponent-specific wrinkles because you didn't have to do much last week. I mean, you just kind of put this whole thing in – in context, I mean, they were just like Mississippi State last week. They played a team that they should beat handily, and they did. I know they had a little kind of herky-jerkiness early in the ball game. You look up after one, it's 7 nothing. You know, I'm sure some of their fans are thinking, what, are we kidding? Uh, 14-3 at the break, and then they explode there in the third quarter with 21 points and just kind of coast from there. And, uh, you know, give it to Fish, too, for not, you know, running the score up. That's an in-state school right there. Not to mention, what happens, Northern Arizona has a guy that emerges to be a good player later. Once you get a transfer portal, you know, you don't want that kid to be salty because you rubbed his nose in it one day. But, uh, again, I think, again, it kind of matches my impression of what uh, Jed Fish is. I think this guy's a class guy and a class coach. But you don't go out there and lay the hammer to these guys, and they didn't. They went out there and they handled business 38-3. to You know, what, what more would you have learned about Arizona if they had scored 70 points? I mean, honestly. What would that say? You've got a hapless opponent in your stadium and a game that's already decided and you're still throwing the football in there? I mean, those kinds of things, I mean, that's just classless football. And that's one of the things I respect about guys like Jed Fish. It's just like, let's just get it done and get back in the, in the locker room. Let's just get it done. No point in going out there and embarrassing somebody. There's no need for that. It'd be one thing. Be, like, if Arizona played Arizona State, it'd be like State and Ole Miss, right? If we had a chance to put 70 up on those guys, you absolutely do it every chance you get. You never show any mercy in those games. If you're like, oh, that's a classic guy. No, no. Because it's all about recruiting, too. It's about perception and branding and about the, uh, you know, the struggle for power within your state. So if Arizona had a chance to put up 70 on Arizona State, you absolutely support that. But not against Northern Arizona, and they didn't. All right, looking at these numbers here. Uh, Delora, 18 of 24, and, and looking at the game, you say, well, six incompletions. We had one of them was a pick. There were two more that should have been caught. There were two where uh, he maybe a little, a little bit too much and let a guy a little bit too much, but there were guys, there were times that guys were open and they just didn't execute the play. And you expect some of that in, in game one, right? Uh, Northern Arizona sacked him just the one time. They brought in uh, Noah Fafita. We saw him last year, too. He goes two for two, uh, just seven yards. But we saw him basically um, – Last, I guess, last two or three drives of that ball game against Arizona. When the game was decided, they brought him in. Big time arm too. Michael Wiley last week, ten rushes for a net of fifty-two, averaging five yards a carry. Delara three for forty-seven as a net. He had the one long run, fifty-three yards on a zone read play. That's not a big part of their offense. And uh, you know, going back and looking at their offensive coordinator, uh, you know, Brendan talked about that this week. Is you know. They may pull that out every now and again. That's not really within the flow of their offense. It's in the playbook. It's not going to be on the play card very often, right? And uh, Fish said earlier this week about it was a play last week against Northern Arizona where, again, Delore tried to do a little bit too much and kind of put himself at risk and took a big hit, you know, and he said, hey, you know, that's not playing quarterback. That's playing fullback. 
And he is so vital to this team. You can't have him out there. That's kind of like it's, it's the best and worst thing about him, right? The guy's a relentless competitor willing to show no regard for his own personal safety, which is great. However, you got to protect yourself, right? So you, it's the thing you like and you dislike about him at the same time. The guy is a very, very, very competitive kid. He really is. But uh, the long run and, you know, went back and it's not a big deal, but I think he looks to be in better shape this year. He looks a little tremor to me. And you could really tell on that 53-yard run. And, yes, it's an FCS opponent. But, man, when he hit that sideline, he found another gear. So we've got to be mindful of that. There may be a situation where our alignment or how we're playing things kind of dials that thing up. Uh, I thought last year he was a little bit hesitant to run against us. And uh, Jacob Cowan kind of mentioned, you know, that, that he's been coached to stay in the pocket. They want him to stay in the pocket as long as possible. But there were some opportunities last year for him to run, potentially for first downs, and he didn't tuck it and go. And he got criticized for it. But the reality of it is he's got to do what he's coached to do. That's just kind of how it is, right? Uh, McMillan, last week, three catches, 65 yards and a touchdown. Had a really nice catch up along the uh, the far boundary for 39 yards where, it, I mean, it was an NFL quality catch. I mean, the ball basically is, is headed out of bounds. He's able to get the, the toe touch. Really great body control on the play there. This guy's a problem. Yeah, you know, I think you're going to see him a lot. Uh, I think we want to have uh, DCAM matched up on him. It doesn't always work that way. But it'll be interesting to see what happens if he flips to the other side and has to go, uh, you know, match up with Furge. Could be an issue. Just going to lay it out there for what it is. Now, looking at this uh, this defensive uh, effort last year for them, or excuse me, last week for them, because and that's one of the reasons we didn't look at last year's numbers on defense is because there's not hardly anybody back. Uh, Jacob Manu is a guy that uh, met with the media this week, led him in tackles with nine. Uh, didn't play much last year, but has really kind of come into his own this year. I don't know that he played a snap against us. He might have. Uh, Martel Irby is a guy that uh, probably going to have to make some plays for him this week. Uh, not just mention the fact that uh, – He's going to be out there. But uh, in the secondary, there, there is some concern out there. Gunnar Maldonado uh, was ejected in the second half of the game against Northern Arizona, as I mentioned earlier this week. So he will miss the first half of the game. And then there's all this concern, too, uh, kind of running through the stuff here, you know, looking at kind of what's what's available and what's not to them. But trading Stukes, you know, the last report that we have is it was going to be kind of a decision – that uh, they'll make today. Weren't even sure he was going to travel. Then there was some discussion. It'll be a game time decision. He has been in concussion protocol this week, and and we don't. You never celebrate anything like that, right? I mean, how many times have we been through that ourselves? You know, it's like you have a kid, and it's like well, we want him to play. You can't put your own health at risk. And I hope the kid obviously makes a full recovery and gets back out there, and maybe he can play this weekend. But uh, if you've been in concussion protocol, it. Put another helmet on and getting back out there uh, the next week sometimes is a difficult proposition. So we don't know we don't know if he's going to play or how much he's going to play or how effective he'll be. And he's one of their better defensive players. Uh, Straight Stukes is one that had the big interception last year for them off the hands of Caleb Ducking. Uh, a guy that you got to really watch is, and I love the name, oh, my gosh, Ephesians Prasak. Love it, man. Sophomore cornerback, he's a guy that will draw a lot of the more difficult assignments. This guy, when you watch him move and run around out there, we talk about, again, you know, guys that are capable of playing in the SEC. He is. He is. But this secondary is going to be interesting. You know, with Maldonado out, 
You know, and Stukes plays what they call the star position. He's a converted corner. He's a guy that can get out and cover. You know, that secondary, that safety group could be in for a real challenge. One of the more interesting names on this defensive side is uh, Bill Norton from Georgia. This guy is a massive defensive tackle. Now, he is not a guy that gains a lot of ground. And you almost don't need him to. Guys, he is originally from uh, Christian Brothers up there in Memphis, Tennessee, by way of Georgia. Transferred from Georgia. And uh, this he is so wide. I mean, it's like it's almost freakish. And the thing with him is, is like you don't need him to gain ground. You just need him to plug, right? You just need him to be up there to eat up space and to kind of occupy a couple blockers. And that that's going to be one of the things that's kind of the game within the game. How does the Mississippi State interior offensive line deal with Norton? Now, is he a game wrecker? No. But he is a guy, obviously, that can free up linebackers to come make plays in the backfield. Now, we didn't run a lot between the tackles last week, and I don't know that we will this week. And so that may negate some of the impact there. Uh, and Norton's not a guy that you look at and say, oh, this guy's a pass rusher. Basically, he's a space eater. And uh, I like the fact – I like what he has, right? It wouldn't necessarily fit um, with what we run. But when you're a team like Arizona was last year and you gave up a lot in the running game – you got to address that, and they did. They went out and got a handful of transfers, and you've got three guys that are starters from Power 5 programs, and Norton's one of those guys. But that is one of those games within the game that I've kind of got my eyes on. What will Cole Smith and Stephen Lasoya and those guys do with Norton? I mean, honestly, I don't know. I don't know how you move that guy. Again, I think he's a guy that's not going to gain a lot of ground and collapse a pocket, but I think that he is a guy that could force some things outside. You know, maybe you're going to run that counter tray inside or whatever. The next thing you know, when you get ready to cut back, he's there. Or he has pushed Cole Smith or Stephen Lasoya into your path. And so he, he could disrupt some things. I think that's very significant. And, uh, you know, again, running the edges is probably more of what we do. But when we get into short yardage and you got to go up there and maybe run a trap or run something up there on the interior, Norton's going to be there. Uh, he is. And, is, is he, again, I don't want to oversell the guy and act like, you know, that he's, you know, uh, you know Dexter Manley or something. But uh, my, my point being is that this is a guy, a piece they didn't have last year that could be pretty instrumental this year, especially with the way that State wants to run the football. When you got that guy in there, this is not southeastern Louisiana. These are Power 5 programs. This is a Power 5 program. These guys get free school too, right? There's a reason they went to the University of Arizona. You know, this is a program that has some tradition. This is a program that obviously has some resources. And they got a coaching staff that appears to be getting this thing going in the right direction. And so they were a very attractive portal destination and uh, really prioritized defense. So anything you saw last year, other than maybe some schematic things from Johnny Nansen, you can kind of throw that away. There's not many of those same faces returned this year. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I feel a probably – I'm probably more concerned about the Arizona game this week than I was at any point in the preseason. And a lot of it's because now that I've seen them play and I've seen how they have changed their roster a little bit, now you look at it and say, you know what? We went out there and beat those guys last year, even with some mistakes, and probably should have won by a bigger margin. But it is what it is. We went out there and covered the margin, um, the spread – 
And this year, I'm a little more apprehensive, to be quite honest with you. I, when I went to Arizona last week, I, last year, I thought, there's no chance we lose this game. Zero chance. Uh, I expect us to win this game. But uh, the Delora thing is just so interesting to me because of the fact we have some issues at safety. You know, we got – and we got talent there. It's just a matter of developing some cohesion. But a guy like Delora is not good for a secondary that is trying to find some chemistry because you got to cover for so long. And, he's, you know, his guys know what he wants, right? And you got to go out there and mirror a guy – and uh, in some cases, you got a guy like McMillan that, that is more talented than perhaps the guy that's going to be defending him. And we know what Jacob Cowan can do. I mean, he didn't have a big game against us, but he had a big game despite everybody else. I mean, so that's going to be the real challenge for me is like, you know, how does State run on the interior against Arizona? But what happens when Arizona has the ball? You know, they're not going to be a traditional running game. They're going to hand it off every now and again just to keep you honest. But uh, – you know, we're going to have to defend the perimeter. We're going to have to get off blocks. You got to be especially good on third down. You got to get off the field on third down. And and that, that that's the case every week. But when you think about Delora, I don't want to give that guy any more downs than we have to, you know. And I think actually the, the time rules might actually favor us this go around, right? You get a score and maybe you can get off the field and start eating up some of the clock and shorten the game a little bit. But I do expect State to win – I do expect State to cover, but uh, I have seen some of these uh, fan predictions, and, I, and I'm just telling you, I, I don't think you guys uh, know as much about Arizona as I do, because I tell you, if you spent the time that I've spent this week, you know, kind of researching Arizona and looking what they have, I think you would look at this and say, you know what, um, this team is good. This team is uh, again. There's only so much you can tell from an FCS team uh, in week one, but just kind of the concepts they run and the confidence in which they run it. I think you look at it and say, you know what, this is not the same Arizona team, not just only from a personnel standpoint, but from a confidence standpoint. A couple more things I want to point out before we move on, because we're going to have our, uh, apparently some of you all's favorite guest uh, do the top 10 list today. And uh, she is absolutely giddy to do it. And uh, was telling me last night as we relaxed, Hey, I want to do this this artist and this artist. Okay, fine, do it. Fine, whatever. All right, but looking at the uh, the kickoff stuff here, we talked about earlier about you know it's the air is thicker here, right? That's just the ball doesn't travel as well here. You know, you go out there in the desert sand, and uh, sometimes there's some wind or whatever, and there's a lot less humidity. But you start running through this thing, and it's like you know, hey, there's just the ball doesn't carry as well here. And so what does that mean kind of in relation, you know, to Tulu, Xavion Thomas? Will we get the opportunity to return some kicks? Because I think in a game like this, when you've got a team that, uh, yes, they're on the road, but you've got a team that's capable of coming here winning a ball game, special teams going to matter big time. Now, last week – in the dry desert air, Arizona kicked off seven times. Six of those are touchbacks. The average depth of kick was 64.9 yards, of course, which brings it down right at the goal line. I will probably submit to you right now. I think that Mississippi State is going to have a chance to return kickoffs. I don't think you're going to see six touchbacks. I don't think Arizona scores that much. But also, in addition to, I think with the thicker air and the humidity – that the ball is going to come down short of the goal line, State's going to have a chance to return some kicks. 
And when you've got two All-Americans back there, that could be a real advantage. Could be. And we talked earlier about Delora against State last year. He officially threw three interceptions, but we had a fourth. Of course, it was overturned on review. And you say, well, Steve, you know, you got him going left. How do you keep him going left? Well, you do what Zach Arnett and Matt Brock did last year. You bring frontside pressure. And you bring it, and then you feign it at other times. That was the thing, too. There were times last year that we would show pressure, like we're going to overload the right tackle, and then we back out of it. And then he would still go hot, right? And then all of a sudden you've got these defenders in the middle of the field. That's one of the ways I think that we kind of corralled Jacob Cowan. We didn't give him the expanses of the middle of the field to work with. Now, they'll expect that this year. But I think when you've got a guy like Delora and it's pre-snap read, you've got to give him some things to think about. You've got to speed up the decision-making process for him. And, again, there were so many times last year, one of the reasons they had as many throws or more throws to the left-hand side of the field than the right side is because of the fact, not to mention more times than not, that's Emmanuel Forbes' side, right, is because we were bringing frontside pressure and showing that in the pre-snap read. And so you kind of – it's just like a point guard, right? It's like, well, you may want to make him go left. Same thing with Jaden Delora. And you, you made him uncomfortable. He had the worst game of, of, of the year last year against Mississippi State and threw that ball up for grabs. And so I think that's what you see more of this year. you got to be careful bringing pressure up the middle with him. You know, of course, if something happens organically, you, you certainly support that. But you want to kind of corral him and keep him in the pocket and, and not let him be Johnny Manziel. And there is some that same element in his game. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's that caliber of player. He's not. But he is that guy that it's kind of a bad thing when things go off script for the defense because he is going to find a way to make plays. Then run it the same way Manziel did. Not to say that he won't take some opportunities when they arise this year, but the reality of it is this is an Arizona team capable of beating Mississippi State, and if Mississippi State goes out there and plays haphazardly, they're going to find themselves in a real dogfight. But I picked the game Mississippi State 31, Arizona 21. All right, it's time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is your friend in the mortgage industry. And listen, it can be a very challenging undertaking getting a mortgage. You need to have somebody that has the know-how and the experience to get you to the closing table. That's Blair Chandler. Give him a call today at 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. And here's the deal. That's his personal cell number. You're not going through a call center or receptionist. You're going directly to the magic man himself, Blair Chandler. So whether you're looking to get into a mortgage, perhaps get a second mortgage, or whatever you're looking to do in relation to your mortgage, you can entrust that to Blair Chandler. 22 years of experience in the mortgage industry, back-to-back-to-back, top 1% close ratios nationally. Part of Fairway Mortgage, a very reputable lender. Again, you've got several options to choose from, but why would you choose anybody other than Blair Chandler at CloseWithBlair.com? All right. Your guest host will check in now on the top 10 list. Brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Hello, everybody. It's Dana again for your top 10. Um, Today, we are doing Nirvana, as I know a lot of you have hoped for, but Steve would never do it because it's not one of his favorites. And I think I figured out why that is. Uh, In doing a little bit of research, I... Uh, realized that Nirvana is pretty much the band that knocked out hair hair metal and as we all know 
that's Steve's favorite, so he's probably a little resentful. But anyway, um, I think another reason is because uh, even though um, Nirvana was formed in 1989, I believe, uh, some of our really uh, favorite bands from the grunge era, like Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, uh, Mother Love Bone, formed before Nirvana did. But Nirvana does sort of get that distinction as bringing in the grunge era and ending the hairband era. Um, <clears throat> and regardless of what Steve thinks, <laughs> they did sell over 75 million albums. Um, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, and Kurt Cobain was even named number 20 in the top 100 metal singers of all time. So I do think that they deserve the accolades that they get. Uh, they've also been called the voice of Generation X, which I think is interesting. Um, anyway, I'm going to get right into the top ten. I don't have a lot to say about each song. I'm just going to give them to you. They're all great. Um, starting with number ten, Stay Away. This is one of their harder-hitting songs, uh, more rock and rollish than some of them. Uh, followed by number nine, Territorial Pissings, which is also a pretty heavy song, but I think that one gained a little popularity by the almost tongue-in-cheek uh, acapella part at the very beginning. Um, and the reason I say tongue-in-cheek is um, Kurt Cobain was very angsty, not a real positive guy, and, and basically it just says, everybody come together try to love every uh, one another right now and it, it's just sort of a little bit contrary to his other messages <laughs> so I think that uh, was interesting uh, number eight is called Polly uh, number seven heart-shaped box uh, number six all apologies uh, number five is something in the way like I said, I don't really have anything interesting to say about these songs, but I think that you'll enjoy these when you go back, uh, listen to your list on Spotify. Uh, number four, In Bloom. Uh, number three is Come As You Are. Uh, one very interesting thing about that song is um, Kurt Cobain repeats in the lyrics several times, no, I don't have a gun, no, I don't have a gun, and at the age of 27, he committed suicide with a shotgun, uh, shotgun hit to the head, so it's a little ironic that he uses that lyric, um, and I think part of the reason, you know, for the, what people speculate as far as his suicide um, he was a heroin addict, uh, had a very tumultuous relationship with his wife, Courtney Love, who was also a musician, and uh, finally he just felt that the world misunderstood the message he was trying to bring in his music, and I think uh, that just caused a deep depression along with the, drug, with the drugs, and he had actually overdosed only one month before that um, and was detoxed and had only been out a month when he was found with the shotgun uh, hit to the head. So it's a sad ending to a good band. Uh, number two is Lithium. And 
Number one is smells like teen spirit. And I think everybody probably figured that one out. That was their biggest hit. That was their come out hit. Um, And I have to say, you know, even though Nirvana is a great band and I enjoy them a lot, as Steve knows, I haven't listened to them much at all um, in the years that we've been together. And I think part of that, you know, they say... Smell brings back the most memories, but I personally think music does that. Uh, and this band was huge during the highest point in my drug addiction, you know. And I, those are memories that I don't like to relive. So I don't, I don't listen to them that much. But they are a good band. Um, if you like the Foo Fighters, that's actually Dave Grohl, who was drummer. From Nirvana, um, he was their biggest spinoff after the after the band split, uh, split after Kurt Cobain's suicide. Um, and they've they've had years and years of, of of success. So I hope you enjoy the top ten list, and uh, I'll give it back to Steve. All right, I'm glad that's out of the way. Um, you Nirvana freaks can rejoice now. We've actually done it. I want to give you what you want, but I didn't give it to you. And uh, so the reality of it is, and I say this all the time, and I, I saw there is like a, an over-under on that. So I think it's the first time I've said it on this show. But uh, the, the, the truth of the matter is, with Kurt Cobain, because of the fact that we share a common affliction, yeah, I do have some sympathy for all that. Uh, I really do. While I wasn't a fan of the music, anytime that we lose anybody you know, to, to addiction or depression, uh, that is a national and global tragedy. It really is. It doesn't matter if they're a person of notoriety. You've heard me say it before. If you are thinking of hurting yourself or someone else, please dial 988 on your cell phone. It is a free call. Help is available free of charge. Uh, we, we need to make 988 as common in our vernacular as 911. When somebody else needs help or you need help uh, with law enforcement, you dial 911. You need help with mental health, you call 988. Be sure and spread that around. And what's interesting, too, in the... Uh, the couple days leading up to Kurt Cobain's suicide, he was in drug rehabilitation with Duff McKagan. And Duff, of course, uh, bass player for Guns N' Roses, another guy that lived life to, ex- to excess. And they kind of bonded a little bit. And then when Kurt left, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Duff was the guy that went out and tried to find him. And uh, it's, uh, it's just one of those things you talk about irony. You know, it's like the, uh, you know, one of the bands that um, Nirvana hated you remember on MTV Video Music Awards that Alec, uh, Axl Rose and Kurt had had uh, words before Nirvana's performance, and then Dave Grohl at the end of it, he's like, hi, Axl, hi, Axl. And so they were like picking a fight with Guns N' Roses, and then in Kurt Cobain's lowest moments, there's a guy from Guns N' Roses trying to be his friend, you know. Uh, it just goes to show you that addiction isn't a respecter of persons. And there is a fraternity and a camaraderie with people that uh, suffer with that affliction. And so, uh, and also, no, and we've documented that. Listen, I did not marry her for her musical taste. I believe I've been a good influence on her in that respect, that she does listen to better music these days. Uh, but no, you know, we, we know. Nirvana gets a lot of credit if they don't deserve. And that's one of the things that I, I can't stand. It just absolutely infuriates me that there are so many people out there. They're like, oh, well, Nirvana created grunge. It's not true. It's not true. They get credit for it. <clears throat> you know, much like... Um, you know, Greg Byrne getting credit for getting us away from TeleSouth. Uh, that deal was already in place, you know, just on a much smaller scale. 
But anyway, thanks to the bride for stepping in and uh, <clears throat> doing the Nirvana Top 10 list. And there are some of her favorite artists that aren't really mine that uh, she will check in and do from time to time. She is um, very, very well-versed when it comes to her musical taste. A lot of range and all that stuff, too. So we're going to let her step in, and there's going to be some times for some female artists that she absolutely adores that I think are just okay. But I'm going to give her a chance to step in every once in a while. And uh, appreciate all your positive feedback. I mean, I got so many people that either stop me or message me or text me and said, hey, I thought Dana did a great job. We need to have her on the show more. Well, um, we will, but it's my show, you know, and so I'm going to be territorial about this. But, uh, yeah, I'm happy to always share the mic with her and uh, appreciate her contributions to our show. Final segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. And here's the deal about that, man. You could go a lot of different places, but chances are you're not going to find the same level of selection, the same price, and the same quality that you're going to get at Campus Bookmart. Really big on buying, shopping, and eating local. You can do that when you come to town, neatly positioned on the backside of campus. They also carry all of my books. That's a cool thing too, right? If you can't visit them in person, Check them out on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet, at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, even if you're an infrequent listener, you can still use the code. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. I know many of you are looking for that interlock and MSU gear. You can't get enough of it. Uh, the young lady that did your top 10 list. So the very first day I went and bought her a t-shirt and uh, one of those big old nice travel mugs with the MSU interlocking on it. I love it. I love it. I hadn't bought myself anything yet, right? Uh, reminder for those guys too that uh, a lot of people have been asking. Uh, we're hoping to be open with her new business in town. Uh, it's going to be True Rest. You can get more information at truerest.com and we're going to be on, uh, on Highway 12 just before you get to campus. In the same shopping center as Pet Sense and Little Caesars and, uh, you know, Power of the Almond, right behind Starbucks over there. And uh, they've completely renovated the shopping center. Some cool things happening there. We're happy to be a part of that. We hope to be open by the end of the year. Matter of fact, when I leave here today, got to go write another big check, sign another contract. Signing my life away, man. But I tell you what, it's going to be so worth it for all of you. You know, not only are we opening the business for us, we're opening the business to add something really of value to Starkville to make Stargold an even better place. We're extremely excited about every bit of this. All right, let's preview now the SEC weekend. Got some games that are going to be dog games, and we got some games that are going to be good games, or should be. It all gets started Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Central. That's interesting, right? It's usually 11 for us, but it's going to be 10 a.m. Central because Vandy is playing at Wake, and that game is going to be broadcast on the ACC Network you know, Wake got after Vanderbilt last year. They've done a good job in recent years at Wake Forest. I like Wake Forest in the game. I think Wake wins this game. I won't say handily, but I don't think they're ever really stressed in the second half. I think it'll be competitive for a half, and I think they're in that third quarter. Wake will begin to get some separation and probably win this game by a couple of scores. Ball State is at Georgia. Here they are on the uh, Get Rich Quick Scheme Tour. Play SEC team in Kentucky last week, play in Georgia this week. Going to be uh, making some pretty big deposits. Probably also have a lot of guys at the training table uh, shortly thereafter. 
you know, dealing with strength and conditioning staff. This is going to not – here's the thing, too, about Georgia. And we referenced this before. It's like Kirby never blows people out like that. You know, we, we mentioned earlier in the show about, you know, you're in the fourth quarter and, and you got somebody on the ropes and, and you're just kind of toying with them. Uh, there's a reason that Georgia has been a program – on the field that is considered to have some class. And I think Kirby's a guy that didn't want to embarrass people. Now, if you want to talk about um, some off-the-field stuff, we can certainly do that. But uh, today we're talking about uh, the program in and of itself. They've got some problems over there off the field. They do. You know, they used to always say, you know, Mark Rick has lost control of the program. You know, nobody seems to be saying that about Kirby Smart, despite the fact that they keep, uh, you know, racking up arrest. A lot of this reckless driving stuff, man. you got to get a handle on that. But Georgia will win and cover. Eastern Kentucky is at Kentucky. Yeah, I don't know what to make of this. I mean, it's like we talked about, I told you guys at the beginning of the year, Kentucky may have the easiest non-conference schedule in the Southeastern Conference. Maybe. You know, outside of that rivalry game with Louisville, there's nothing on here of note. Nothing. Nothing on here of note. And that's the thing, too, about that Power 5 mandate. It works out good for Kentucky. They just get to keep playing their rival. And then they play Eastern Kentucky. You know, the Colonels haven't been a Division I program for very long. And that's going to be evident. Kentucky wins this game handily. I mean, if it's close at all, it'll be that, that's a victory in and of itself. If they, if they can keep this game under three touchdowns, the Colonels will feel like, hey, uh, the Eastern Kentucky's had some decent baseball times, as we can attest. Um but, yeah, Kentucky wins this thing easily. One of the games that everybody's talking about is the Ole Miss-Tulane game. It's a top 25 matchup. It'll be on ESPN2 at 2.30 Central. You know, as the summer months go along and you think about Tulane beating USC last year in the ball game and how incredible that was, and you're like, oh, man, this will be great. And Tulane gets Ole Miss in their own backyard, right? So you got to make them travel down in New Orleans play in front of your fans, and there'll be a lot of Ole Miss people there too. And I may be completely wrong about this thing. I just don't see Tulane staying with Ole Miss. I just don't think they have the size or the girth to get in there and battle with that offensive line and keep Quinchon Judkins from having a big day. Will Tulane score? Yes, they absolutely will. And I think the only hope you have if you're Tulane is to turn this thing into a shootout. But when you've got the better running game – you can kind of control the flow of things. And I think with Jackson Dart and with Quenchon Judkins, I think they're going to have the ability to get a lead, get a little separation, eat up some clock. And I like Ole Miss to win this game and cover. I, I, I don't think this is going to be the game that some people suggest. Everybody's like, oh, this is the game of the week. I just don't think so. Uh, again, if it had been the t- two-lane team of last year, maybe. I just don't feel it. I would love to. I'd love for Tulane to win this game. I, next to State winning, I'd love nothing more. Because, you know, my two favorite teams are Mississippi State and whoever plays Ole Miss. I just think Ole Miss has too much. And I think Ole Miss wins this game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I think Ole Miss wins. And not, is, is n- at no point in the second half do they feel any anxiety. Texas A&M at Miami. This is a sneaky good game here, too. I know a lot of people are like A&M is so far removed from us geographically, and Miami's another conference. But, you know, the Miami A&M game last year was kind of an embarrassing moment for A&M. It's like Miami kind of did what they wanted to do, even though the score did not get a lot of separation. But I like the Aggies. And I can't really pinpoint why I like the Aggies. 
in this game, and it's on the road at Miami. But Vegas likes the Aggies too. I just think that there is a talent differential here that favors A&M. And I also think Bobby Petrino is a guy, now with Connor Wegman, uh, who can put some rhythm and some semblance of continuity on the offense. So I think this is kind of like that, uh, I don't know if I'll call it a breakout game, but I think it's the validation game for A&M. I think they go in and beat Miami, who is a decent team, probably a good team, not a really good team, and certainly not a great team. I, I like the Aggies to win a close one. Kent State is at Arkansas. They just won't have they won't have the guns. They just won't have the guns. Then they'll come out there and play hard. It's not it's not magic. It's math. When I've got the bigger, more talented, faster player, and I got to play you, you know, 60, 70 snaps. You know, you're not going to get enough wins to be able to put that together. Not 11 on 11. And I, I think Rocket has a big ball game. And I'm sure Sam Pittman's thinking, you know what? If I can get Rocket going and then get him out of the game in the second half and save some wear and tear on him and keep him fresher for later in the year because there's a lot of toss-up games on this Arkansas schedule, that's probably the way to go. I think if you're Arkansas, you don't want K.J. to play in the fourth quarter unless he's simply handing it off. But, yeah, Arkansas wins this game easily. And speaking of easily, Austin P. is at Tennessee. Uh, we'll give Tennessee credit for being willing to write the check for an in-state program, but my goodness gracious, this will be a bloodbath beyond all proportions. And that Tennessee offense only knows one speed, and that's wide open. I, I think this is going to be an absolute bloodletting in Knoxville. Texas today in Alabama, and this is in Tuscaloosa. You remember last year, Texas should have won the game. Should have won the game. Had it not been, uh, you know, Bryce Young making a big play late to save the day for Alabama and set up that uh, game-winning field goal. It's a completely different conversation. It is. But Alabama does what Alabama does. They found a way to make a play late. When everybody else is tight and everybody's, like, hoping that, you know, something crazy doesn't happen, Alabama goes in and makes something crazy happen. You never know when it's going to happen. Ask Auburn and Brian Harsick. They thought that game was over. They were going to upset Alabama and win the uh, Iron Bowl. And everything is going to be lovely. But instead, Alabama makes the play. And that's the thing about Alabama. you got to beat them for 60 minutes, even when they're not firing on all cylinders. There's just something weird that happens late in ballgame. If we talk about the voodoo with LSU, it's like the ghost of Bear Bryant, man. Texas at Alabama, I don't think this game is nearly as close as last year. I know some people are all excited about Texas. And, you know, listen, Alabama's got some things to prove. And you say, Steve, we're number three in the country. How could they have anything to prove? Well, I think they do. I think they have to kind of legitimize themselves a little bit because they didn't win the West last year, didn't play in the SEC championship game. Yes, they absolutely had an amazing bowl game. But that said, I think if people – I think people want to jump on board the Alabama train, but there are a lot of people in the media suggesting, well, the dynasty is over. The dynasty is over. Uh, I just don't believe it. And I, I certainly think it lives for another week because I think they get Texas. I think Alabama covers. And I think this will be a competitive game for probably a half. And then I think after the halftime adjustments, old St. Nick will put the Longhorns in the rearview mirror. Middle Tennessee at Missouri. This is an intriguing game. None of you will watch it, right, because Texas and Alabama is going to be on at the same time. And then uh, Mississippi State and Arizona. So if you're flipping back and forth from home, those are the games you're going to be watching. Nobody's going to be watching Middle Tennessee and Missouri other than Middle T Tennessee State fans and Missouri fans. That's it. 
I still think it has a chance to be a better game than people expect. Missouri is favored uh, quite considerably in this game, but you remember Missouri, very vanilla and very pedestrian last week on offense against South Dakota. Middle had to play Alabama. Yeah, so I'm sure they thought, if we can survive this, maybe we got a shot against Missouri. I don't give them much chance to win the game. I did pick Middle to cover, though. I think Missouri wins outright, but I think Middle will probably cover. Just because I'm just not sure what to think from this uh, Missouri offense. Not to mention, I don't know if you want to go out there and, you know, stretch your legs that much on Middle Tennessee when you've got SEC play coming up. Grambling is at LSU. The first time ever, ever, that Grambling and LSU have met on the football field. And that's a shame. Do we not agree that's a shame? Not, now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that even the great Eddie Robinson teams could have competed with the, the average LSU team, but it's a shame that that matchup never happened. LSU played Southern, right? LSU's played Louisiana Monroe. LSU certainly played Tulane. They were rivals for years. LSU played, you know, UL Lafayette or Louisiana or USL, whatever you want to call them. They played Northwestern State. So why not Grambling? It's just a weird thing to me. I'm glad this is happening, and poor Grambling. They get LSU in Tiger Stadium at night the week after they lose to Florida State in very embarrassing fashion. LSU will come out angry. I suspect it's probably 35-0 at the break. They'll probably hit the gas uh, maybe midway through the third quarter and then pull the starters because, of course, they got a big ball game next week when they come to Stark Vegas. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad to see this game happen. You know, it's a thing we talk about, you know, keeping the money in state. You know, if LSU and, and Mississippi State, Ole Miss, everybody does this, right? I mean, it's like you, you got to go get a rent-a-win somewhere. Why not help the, the people of your state? I mean, it's not like LSU and Grambling are competing for the same kids on the uh, recruiting trail, right? I mean, it's, that's just not the case. It's a different talent level. But if you got to write the big check – why not do something to help the people of your state? You know, we went and play, you know, we had Gardner Webb coming here a few years ago. And it's like, you know, I'm sure Gardner Webb appreciates it, but, uh, you know, I think maybe we're better off writing that check to Valley or Alcorn State or Jackson State. If you got to play a 1AA team or an FCS, I know it's, and I remember this being a kid too. And, and I'm going to, we're going to, I want us to stop, stop being so ridiculously politically correct. Let's just be honest. Is that okay? Can we? If I can't be honest with you guys, I can't be honest with anybody. When I was a kid, you had major conferences and you had minor conferences. And everybody understood that. But apparently it hurt the feelings of the people that were considered minor conferences. So then we get into Division 1A, and then there's 1AA. And then that was offensive. Well, you're trying to suggest we're not as good. You're not as good. It is okay to not be as good. There's a reason you're not playing 1A football. But now we have to call it the FBS and the FCS. You know, when does that debate start? Well, you know, B comes before C in the alphabet. So why are you suggesting we're inferior? It has always been this way. No matter what you label it to be, you are playing in a minor conference with less talent, with less resources, and in most cases, less coaching. Let's just call it for what it is. But we can't because we're afraid we're going to hurt somebody's feelings. And Steve, you've got to set up a safe space so I can sit here and pretend that I'm just as good as everybody else. You're not. 
That's okay. College football has a hierarchy. There's a reason that you're playing at a lower level. You don't have the talent to play at this level. And that's okay. I mean, Mississippi College needs players too. Bellhaven needs players too. Mississippi College needs baseball players, basketball players. Nickel State needs players. There's opportunities. I mean, goodness, my kid, my own son, played college baseball in the NAIA, and we were absolutely elated to get that opportunity. Played Juco ball for a year and then went and played at, at Williams Baptist. I mean, it's like we were thrilled. But I, I knew that he wasn't good enough to play at Mississippi State. He loves Mississippi State. And I can tell you this, when he was coming in, he was probably tougher than a lot of the kids we had on the team for hurt your feelings too bad. But the reality of it is, and again, there it is again. You got me. I'm going to get a complex about that. But I understood, and I'm glad that there are levels beneath the Division I opportunities that provide other kids a chance to play beyond the high school level. That is perfectly okay. It ran over. Missouri wins. Middle Tennessee covers. LSU wins. Grambling doesn't cover. Speaking of minor conferences, it's uh, McNeese State. The Cowboys will be traveling to Florida. And as confident as I am about LSU absolutely hammering Grambling, I'm not as confident about Florida handling McNeese. But McNeese got hammered last week by Tarleton State. Our buddy Mason Miller, the offensive coordinator, put up uh, over half a hundred on those guys. But I can only begin to imagine the message boards on the Swamp 247 side if this is a game at the half. Like, there will be people calling for Billy Napier to be fired at halftime, if that's the case. Like, if Florida is not up multiple scores at halftime against the McNeese State Cowboys, there will be blood in the streets of Gainesville. Florida wins, Florida covers. But uh, this is not a good Florida team. I think that's evidence of last week. Uh, you know my feelings about Arizona at Mississippi State. And, um, again, I'll say again, I have been uh, – of course, I go over there and answer questions over on the Arizona board. And uh, Jason Shears, an old scout.com guy like me. So I've known of this guy and uh, had contact with him for years and years and years. But um, I've really enjoyed the interaction with the Arizona fans. And there's a couple, and that's like in every fan base. But I would say the percentage of – of smart people compared to people that are homers on that side is probably as good as I've seen, you know. There's a few people over there. It's like, you know, we got both middle fingers in the air or whatever, you know. Uh, but by and large, people, I think most people kind of have a pretty good pretty good awareness of kind of where they are as a football program, but they're so optimistic about the future. So I'm glad that we've kind of crossed paths with them at this point. You know, obviously we needed some good experiences with Arizona after what Bobby Dahlbeck did us. Did to us back in 2016 at Duty Noble Field, right? What an incredible player. Um, but, yeah, I like State to win. But, again, I, I expect this to be a good ball game. And probably State gets some final separation, you know, there in late third quarter, early fourth quarter. Foreman's at South Carolina. The Paladins strike them up. Headed to South Carolina. And, uh, you know, it's so interesting, too. Like, I saw something earlier this week. Somebody said, is Furman the best team in South Carolina? Well, they're not. It was a tough weekend last weekend for the folks in South Carolina. South Carolina will win this weekend, but uh, I just I don't know what to expect from this uh, South Carolina team. I, I picked them at 500, but it, all, it, it seems like they're just one bad loss away from, like, just the bottom falling out. 
And you kind of saw that last week with the North Carolina game. That, that was not a good game. It was a good game for a half. And Shane, I think those guys called a good game. I just don't think they have the horses. I think at some point that's going to get to you. We had not even got to the grind of the SEC schedule yet. You know, what's going to happen all of a sudden when half your team is, you know, questionable? You know, I mean, that, that's the life we live in, in Power 5 football. They'll be okay this week. But uh, South Carolina certainly needs to get this one to make the fans feel better. I don't – I don't. this is going to be – it's kind of like when you lose that first game, like when we lost to Oklahoma State in week one. We were so excited to go play that game, you know, great venue, and then you lose it. And it's like it already puts a damper on your season in week one. You feel like you're already chasing the season. And a win over an FCS team doesn't change that. Finally, in the nightcap, and we all ought to be able to get home to watch the end of this one, is Auburn and Cal. I have seen picks all over the board here. I like Auburn, just because I think Auburn has more talent on defense. But uh, offensively, Cal looked pretty good last week. I mean, look at the numbers. I I just think Freeze and those guys need need a big early win to get some buy-in. You know, you, got, you learned nothing last week about Auburn. Nothing. Nothing. Um, so, I like Auburn to win the game. I think it's a shootout. I think it's one of those games that probably goes down like to the last two minutes. It should be entertaining, but I like Auburn to win. So, looking back, your winners this week, Wake Forest, Georgia, Kentucky, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Tennessee, Alabama, Missouri, LSU, Florida, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Auburn. So we have three road teams that we're picking. That's right, three. Three road teams to take a victory this week in the Southeastern Conference. And, uh, you know, we'll start getting into some SEC play uh, here pretty soon. And just kind of give you a quick look ahead because it's like this time of year, it's like I never know what to expect, right? Yeah, well, next week going to be the best week so far in the season. LSU, of course, at Mississippi State. That's 11 a.m. game. Kansas State at Missouri. That's going to be a good one. South Carolina's at Georgia. Alabama's at South Florida. Why? Louisiana Monroe's at A&M. Tennessee's at Florida. Remember when that used to be the SEC game of the year? Remember that? Sanford's at Auburn. Vandy's at UNLV. Georgia Tech at Ole Miss. BYU at Arkansas. And Akron at Kentucky. I told you this Kentucky schedule was a joke. I hope Joe, Joe Moorhead, please, Joe, please, please, Joe, please. But anyway, an interesting schedule next week, and we will get into some SEC play. But um, I think this week will be pretty much to script. I think last week, what I do, I was 11-3 and three last week. And then one of those is because of uh, the spread. I got hung up on a spread on that uh, Florida-Utah game. I thought Florida would do it. It is what it is, man. It's a lot of fun, though. And uh, listen, make sure that uh, you kind of keep up with our full coverage over at jeanspage.com. Of course, we had more content than anybody this week all throughout camp. And in game day, we kind of flexed our muscles a little bit. And if memory serves me correct, I think we had 27 stories between Saturday and Sunday. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's the thing, too, is like when I first got to Starkville, I couldn't believe – how many interviews and quotes were, like, left on the cutting room floor? I'm like, well, wait a minute. If every one of these players comes to be interviewed, why are we not writing a feature? Oh, well, it doesn't fit my angle. Well, okay, well, I'll write it. You know, if you're going to bring the guy up there and you're going to ask him questions, you mean you can't build a story out of that? And there were so many people, that's what would happen. And so we just started writing about everybody, you know. Why would we not? You don't think, like, when Preston Smith goes to the podium, 
okay, well, maybe your feature this week is about offense. You, you can't find a sidebar piece. We're the internet, man. You can write as much as we want. There's no limit. We don't have a page count. We don't have a word count. Get it done. And so we flexed our muscle last week. So I'm excited about that. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens this weekend. Of course, uh, 6.30 start Central Time. 6.30 Mississippi State Time. If you're out in Tucson, that's 4.30 University of Arizona Time. And uh, on the SEC Network, and if you are a, a person that lives outside of the Southeast, make sure you have it. If you're a regular Bulldog fan, you know this. Uh, you know, it's not like the Pac-12 Network where you have to, like, go get a – like, buy a Pepsi and they give you, like, a special code and you have to enter it in to see if you've won a chance to watch a game on the Pac-12 Network. It's not like that. You can just find the SEC Network and just kind of open up and get rolling. Uh, but a lot of good games to watch. And uh, I, I share with you guys, I expect to win – but don't panic and run to social media if the game is tied or if state trails in the first half or at halftime. Don't, don't do that. It's just so unbecoming. Reminder, too, we'll have a, a baseball scrimmage this afternoon. Uh, I believe 3 p.m. is the start. Uh, me and the lovely bride have a couple stops to make business-wise on our way uh, to getting things done. But we'll be out at Duty Noble Field this afternoon. And uh, reminder, scrimmage today. College football Saturday night. Then we'll have another scrimmage on Sunday. I'm not exactly sure the start time tomorrow on Sunday, but it's 3 o'clock today, Central. And uh, so we'll have that up, too. We're going to go out there and enjoy uh, kind of getting to know the new players. And, uh, you know, m- maybe on Monday I'll give you guys a, a run-through. Maybe we'll do it Wednesday. You know, Wednesday kind of give you, a little, you know, kind of some impressions of what we have, you know. We got to get back, man. We got to get back. I know we're in the middle of football season. I'm excited about football season. But like many of you, there is always this little, you know, knot in my stomach about we haven't been to the postseason in back-to-back years in baseball. And like, Steve, you had to mention it. I did. We got to fix it, man. We do. And so I'm, I'm eager to get out there and kind of see what we have, kind of see what difference Justin Parker's making with these pitchers. Uh, I'm optimistic about the season, but I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm like all of you. It's like, you know, I kind of got to wait and see. I can't sit here and tell you, oh, yeah, we're going to be right back in the thick of things. I thought last year – with the portal class we had and what we had returning, that uh, we would have a better year. We didn't. And any year that ends outside of the NCAA tournament is not a good year. We don't measure winning seasons here at Mississippi State when it comes to baseball. We, we measure Omaha appearances. That's what we do, right? And so we're eager to get back. If you had not done so, go to winthebottomfalls.com. I've had to talk about a lot of recovery stuff this week. Um, I think three days this week I've had to have a recovery meeting with somebody. And I uh, went and spoke to a group last night. I want to thank for everybody that came out. Uh, great response. It really was. And uh, I, I share this with you guys all the time because I want to be transparent. One thing that I told people last night is I remember when I was like six weeks sober, you know, like I'm sitting there in this speaker meeting, like somebody comes in from the outside and they have their speaker meeting. I'm thinking, you know, why are these people doing this? You know, are they mandated to do it? Are they on probation? Is somebody paying them to do it? You know, and no, we, we do it because we get so much out of it. And it's about carrying the message. It's about carrying the message. I mean, I've been, I've been cleaning sober a long time. And I, there's a debt that I owe that I will be paying back until the moment that I expire. Right? I'm alive today because people love me and gave me an opportunity. And, and uh, I made the most of that. There was a resolve within me that I was like, okay, this is enough. And there are a lot of people that maybe don't share in that same level of resolve. And so I just try to go share some experience, strength, and hope and try to be somewhat of an inspiration to help the people. Um, a lot of people 
out there struggling, man, and uh, I feel an obligation to go out there and let them know that, hey, this is what's possible in life. It's not just about, hey, I need to get off probation or, hey, uh, I need to get everybody off my back. You know, and those are all meaningful goals in the beginning. But I think when you, when you no longer dream, you know, no longer live, you know, and uh, I've shared with you guys many times, you know, when Dan and I were broke as the Ten Commandments, man, living off uh, bacon tomato sandwiches, and some people would say, but Steve, that's a South, South Mississippi delicacy. And it is. But you know, I look around at all that I have and all that I've been able to accomplish, and I think, you know, it's just amazing to me that this is where we are. This is where we are. And, you know, the old drag thing, you know, started from the bottom, now we're here. You know, I had to borrow 200 bucks a month to buy clothes when I got out of jail, man. I don't know if I ever paid that money back. Maybe I should just go send her a check now for 200 bucks. Hey, Mommy, you did this for me. I'm going to give this back to you. Do something sweet for you. Go buy yourself something, right? Uh, so if you're one of those kinds of people, man, if you're struggling with it, and I want you to know you're not alone. If you have a, a, a loved one that is struggling with addiction, uh, maybe consider buying them a book. Again, it's whenthebottomfalls.com, and you can get uh, basically my story of recovery and uh, really my life. It's basically my memoirs, right? And you can get all my sports books there too. It's uh, Flim Flam Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, and Dogpile. Looking for Stark Villains gear? You can find it at StarkVillains.com. I love to see Stark Villains gear on game day. I love it, man. It's amazing. See a lot of it at Duty Noble Field, right? We do. Uh, means a lot to me. So be sure and check that out. And also come be a part of our merry band of misfits over at JeansPage.com. Whether you're a member or not, we do a ton of free content. So you can come, and anything that doesn't have a VIP marker on it, you can read for free. And you can share it in Facebook when you read something you like. And, and you know, there's just so much of what, with that. And, and our Facebook page, too. You can go check that out, too. Uh, we don't put any VIP content over there. Follow us on Twitter. All the good stuff. You know, we're trying to do the best job possible for you. Uh, we'll cover Mississippi State Athletics. And, again, to our friends at Arizona making the trip, uh, be careful. Again, hope you have a great time. Uh, go eat a Bulldog Burger Company. Go buy Campus Bookmark. Maybe buy a cowbell for a friend back home. Even though you're not a Bulldog fan, it's uh, something that's unique to us. And, um, you know, so maybe bring some souvenirs back, even though you're not a Bulldog fan. It'd be pretty neat to hear about uh, some Arizona fans coming. And, you know, we don't care if you buy the cowbell and put the uh, the A on it. And that's the big thing, back the A. Maybe you could buy you a cowbell, put the A on it. It would still be a Mississippi State bell just with an Arizona sticker. But uh, it'd be kind of neat. Nobody else can offer you that. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.